receive the word that God has for us today. Amen? Let's give it to the Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, so much for your word. That your word is sharper than a double-edged sword, Lord God, able to pierce those, Lord God, who, uh, before us who, are, who hear us, Lord, but also our own hearts, O oh God. I pray, Father, that, Lord, your word does not return void, that you speak through me, Lord, the word that you have placed within my heart. And uh, I pray, God, that at the end of the day and at the end of it all, it's for your glory and your honor and obedience to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All over this room, how many of you have ever played a sport? Raise your hand. Sports. Or, or it, it does, you know what? This doesn't even have to do about sports. This could be involved in any recreational activity. Maybe you play an instrument. Maybe you love art or whatever it is. You know, something that uh, is organized and that you have to learn. Um, when, I was, when I was growing up, I, ha I had a lot of energy. And so my mom, she put me in sports right away. And uh, I've, I've discovered something about kids. Judah just turned four a couple weeks ago, like I mentioned. And I've discovered, I discovered more and more uh, about life <laughs> as my kids get older. Um, I've discovered that it doesn't matter how much running Judah does in one day, he always can run some more. Uh, it, it's like he has this endless reserve or this pocket of energy that he hides within himself so that he could just keep running around and running around and running around and running around and running around. And despite the fact that he was running around for like nine hours in the day, still finds his ability to be able to wake up at 3 a.m., wide awake, and just says, you know what, right now is a good idea to go wake up mom and dad. Um, and so, uh, yeah, uh, and I, I just need to find the secret of tapping into that. But uh, I had a lot of energy growing up, and my mom put me in sports. I played a, a lot of things growing up. I did a lot of things growing up. And one of the sports that I was introduced to you that I absolutely fell in love with was football. I absolutely love, love, love watching football. I loved playing football. Uh, the physicality of it, the workouts, every aspect of it. You mean to tell me that after school, after a long, long, long day of school, of I was paying attention in class, paying attention to my teachers and doing all my work and being a good student. Um, you mean to tell me that I got to put on pads, a uniform, and a helmet, and I was encouraged to hit somebody really, really hard. That's awesome. In fact, it, it, it was encouraged by the adults, called my coaches. I loved it. And so uh, I love football because I was an inwardly aggressive kid. And, and football was my, my opportunity. I, only, I grew up with sisters. I didn't have a brother, so I couldn't, you know, like growing up the wrestling thing and all that stuff and the fighting and all that stuff. I couldn't really do that um, just because I was always told, if you even, you're going to get it, you know, and being threatened uh, by your parents and stuff like that. And so I learned I can't do that with my sisters. Um, but I can do that now with my son. We could roughhouse a little bit. Um, but again, he keeps going and going and going and going and throw something at you when you're like asleep on the couch or whatever. Um, but this was an opportunity for, let, for me to let all my energy out and explode. And I loved playing. And when you begin playing a sport or really doing anything, uh, what you need to do at the very beginning, I think we can all agree on, is we need to learn the game, right? We don't know the rules. We don't know the regulations, so there's a learning period where we have to discover what the rules and regulations are, the do's and the don'ts. Uh, you learn the purpose for each position. You learn strategy. You learn uh, what position fits you best. And so when I, was in, uh, when I started playing football, um, I wasn't very big. Uh, I'm not six foot two. I wasn't six foot two, 240 pounds like I am right now. Uh, I was really, 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 really small, and I was really, 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 really skinny. Um, this was to the point that 
Uh, you know, we, we would do something like, you know, hit the weight room or, you know, uh, the combine. The combine was to test where you were at physically, you know, your physical condition at the start of the season. And then there would be a combine at the end of the season to see how much you've improved and how much you've progressed. And so I remember <laughs> freshman year um, that a part of the combine was bench pressing. And for freshmen, the only thing you had to bench was uh, 25 pounds and 10 pounds. So it was 35 pounds on each side, including the weight of the bar. Freshman year, Pablo couldn't even bench press the bar. <laughs> and the bar was only like 55 pounds. I was tiny. Uh, and, and, but I really wanted to play football. You know, it was just this thing. You know, my, uh, the, the high school I went to was a Division I high school. You know, t- football was big. It was, it was one of those like surreal like situations where on Friday night, the town shut down. Because Friday Night Lights was a real thing, and the whole town was there to cheer on our football team uh, uh, under the lights. And it was, it was like the most surreal experience, the coolest thing ever. And so eventually, I grew. I hit a growth spurt, uh, stayed faithful in the weight room, and I got uh, stronger and stronger. But I, I started off as an offensive guard, which if you don't know what an offensive guard is, essentially you're one of the big guys on the line. Uh, on the, on the line. You're a lineman. And your job was to be stronger than the person in front of you. Pablo wasn't very strong. So I didn't, I didn't succeed in that very well. But as I continued to grow and continued to get stronger, and I, I grew tall, like way tall, super early, um, I eventually uh, settled into two positions, a defensive end and a tight end, which, to explain what those are for those of you who might be football illiterate, on defense, defensive end is at the end. On offense, a tight end is at the end of the line. Very simple, very different uh, roles uh, and stuff. But I absolutely loved those positions. And one of the things that I had to do uh, in, in that to uh, be good at football is to discover who I was as a player and how that fit into the grand scheme of things when it came to the team. Um, and so discovering who I was as a player and, and also discovering how that fit into the grand scheme of things for the team so that we could start winning and playing well because every position was important. I mentioned, uh, I mentioned last week that uh, about a year and a half ago, a little over a year and a half ago, I started doing uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And you would think that when it comes to combat sports, you watch kind of like the, the physicality of it and, and all that stuff that looking from an ignorant outward perspective in, it's like, oh, okay, you just need to be strong and, you know, just uh, understand a little bit of wrestling and all that stuff. But when you really get into it, you really realize that it's a lot more complicated than just being a good wrestler, being big, or being strong. When I first started training in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, uh, there were little guys, like, and I, I mean, like, I'm not going to say a height because, you know, if you're that height, I don't want to hurt feelings today. But there were guys who were smaller than me, way smaller than me, and I had easily 100 pounds on them who were just beating me up. And I, it was the most humbling thing ever. I was like, oh, Lord, oh, my gosh. And, and I learned a lot about Pablo through being beat up by little people. Um, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> But when you really get into, into that sport, you realize that everybody has something called their game. You know, what is your game? It's habits, moves you lean towards, actions and reactions, your game plan of attack and defense that you drill and drill and drill so that you could get better and better and better. And I want to demonstrate, is there a volunteer? I'm just kidding. We're not doing that today. 
Um, but everybody has their game. And so in jujitsu, uh, the way that you start a match, uh, is you face them, you bow, slap hands, bump fists. As soon as you bump fists, it's go time. The next five minutes, you are trying to kill each other, uh, and, and just actively pick apart strategy and pick apart, you know, what their tendencies are and stuff like that. So if you go shoot low, it's like, did they back up? Did they go to the side? What are they doing? So that you could formulate a game plan of attack and really know who you're up against and what their habits are. Um, and so when it, comes to the, when it comes to this, it's a discovery of who you are as a Brazilian jiu-jitsu uh, practitioner. It's a discovery of who you are in any given field that you are in, whether it's a work field, whether it's a sport, whether it's an art, whatever it be, you're discovering who you are in that given field. And so the same idea of discovery can be applied to many, many, many things in life, including our spiritual walk with Jesus. Last week, we began to discuss on identity, and I mentioned the question, who I am, is a very valid and important question for ourselves to ask and discover, but it comes second place to the question of whose we are. Amen? The discovery of who I am as an individual, what my identity is, uh, especially as a believer, can only be really, truly, genuinely found in whose I am. And as I discover what, God, what, what the Bible says, or rather who the Bible says I am and who God is, I'm able to really discover who I am in Christ. Um, and when it comes to the question of who am I, uh, I believe that this is a question that you ask over and over again as you grow, as you continue to develop as an individual, you know, as you continue to uh, just grow, grow as individuals. And so uh, you ask yourself, who am I if you graduate high school? Really before high school, you ask yourself, but then as you're going into college, you know, some of the most formative years of your life, uh, you ask yourself, who am I? You know, as you graduate college, now who am I as a college graduate entering the workforce uh, or, or continuing uh, to further your education? You know, who am I as an adult? And uh, again, as you get independent from your parents, who am I as an individ individual member of society? When you get married, who am I as a spouse? You know, I, I, it's all questions that you have to ask yourself. I had to ask myself, who is Pablo as a husband? When I became a dad, who am I as a father? You know, if, if you're a grandparent today, who are you as a grandparent? You know, you're probably going to spoil those kids and smother them with love and fill them with candy so that they go home wired for mom and dad to deal with because you don't have to. And it's just, you know, the circle of, circle of life. You know, you'll get there eventually. Um, and so you need to ask yourself, who am I? Again, in these various different seasons of life, but again, the question of whose is more important than who. And last week we talked about the whose. This week, we're gonna talk about who. We looked through Hosea chapters one through three to see God in the midst of the account and to see what God's interaction with Hosea and Hosea's life with Gomer revealed about who he is uh, because of uh, whose we are, rather. And so Hosea's story, in a nutshell, I mentioned this in the first service. There's this website called SparkNotes. Uh, if you see your students studying through SparkNotes, they're cheating. Uh, <laughs> SparkNotes tells you the summary of each chapter, so you don't actually have to read the, read the uh, book. Um, I got in trouble in high school once, twice, I don't know. 
Uh, don't get caught with spark notes. However, spark notes is a good supplication to in addition to the reading because if you don't fully understand what you're reading and you read the whole chapter, you could read uh, a summary of it to help you better understand and stuff like that and have conversation with people. But it shouldn't be the only thing. Anyway, moving forward. I'm going to give you Hosea's story in a nutshell in a spark note version. God communicates to Hosea and tells him to marry a woman of promiscuity and to have children of promiscuity because Israel was committing blatant spiritual promiscuity against God. I mentioned that oftentimes God used the lives of his prophet to be an illustration of his current relationship with his people, which at the time of Hosea was not very good. And so Hosea and Gomer have three children. Somewhere along the way, Hosea and his three children are abandoned by Gomer as she left to continue to commit adultery and live a life of promiscuity. But God tells Hosea to go again and find her, to love her, to bring her home, and to, uh, and, and to do this, he has to pay a literal price to be able to bring Gomer, his wife, the mother of his three children, home. But he pays it. And I always find it amazing that you can read the same passage of scripture or biblical account and discover something new or see something different that you didn't see before when you approach it with a different lens or a different perspective as you continue to pray through it. And so last week we looked through Hosea chapter 1 through 3 looking for whose we are. Seeing God's inter- interaction with uh, Hosea and, and his people and, and just how distraught God was at the sin, the blatant and open sin that Israel was committing against God. You know, to the point where, again, in Old Testament times, people were paying the penalty for their own sin. So there was a judgment that was coming. God was essentially telling them that they were going to be cut off for a time because of their blatant sin. And I believe I made mention of this last week, but it's worth mentioning again that it's very easy to read the Bible with almost a judging sense towards individuals we read about who fell, failed, committed sin, or ran away. You know, we, we ask questions, uh, not, in, not in a you know, uh, in a, in a wanting to learn sense sometimes, but like in a very harsh, judgy way, why would Jonah run away from God? Doesn't it, it's God. Why would Jonah run from God? You cannot run away from God. Or we would, we would ask, why would Peter deny Jesus three times? Jesus literally called him out and said that it would, that it would happen. How could Peter, after being called out by Jesus, the son of the living God, the Messiah, actually bring to fruition what Jesus called him out for? Why would David commit such a sin? Why would Eve listen to the serpent? And why would Adam listen to Eve? Why would he follow suit and eat of the fruit that God said not to eat? Why would Judas betray Jesus? Why did Gomer leave her husband? Why would she? Point number one is she was a sinner. The answer to all these questions is is that all these individuals uh, were human. And since the initial fall of humanity bringing sin, death, and so many other things to this world, not a single person except Jesus has walked the face of this earth and and walked it and done so perfectly. We all have this nature within us that causes us to desire and lust after our own thing uh, with this free will that we were originally created to worship God with and in fellowship with God with. This nature within us, uh, this sin nature causes us to, like in in the days of Hosea, openly and blatantly commit spiritual promiscuity against God. This sin nature within us causes us to think that we are above uh, others and that at least my sin is not a big deal. Because my sin doesn't affect anybody but me, but their sin clearly is affecting the lives of other individuals, so on and so forth. 
It's the very thing that causes us to read the Bible and judge people like Jonah, Peter, David, Adam, Eve, Judas, and Gomer saying, how could these individuals fall? How could these individuals sin against God? And what we often need to remind ourselves is that like all of these people, we too are sinners. We too are sinners. There is not a person in this room who is not a sinner in need of a savior. We too are sinners. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Not some, not most, not a specific group of people. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Church, today I, Pastor Pablo, confess that I am a sinner who is in uh, daily need at every moment of every day with every breath that I take, a Savior. And Jesus, I'm so thankful today because Jesus is my Savior. Amen? Jesus is our Savior. Sometimes when life's pressures and challenges get overwhelming, we have this tendency to default to going back to old habits or habits that we haven't necessarily uh, fully surrendered uh, or taken initial steps to overcome. And so when you read the account of, of, of Hosea and Gomer, their relationship, we discover that there was at some point a time where uh, Gomer abandoned Hosea and his family. And so what did she do in this situation? She ran to what she was used to. She absolutely ran to what she was used to, point number two. We are creatures of habit. And sometimes habits can be difficult to break. And, you know, there are many people who have good habits. If you wake up in the morning and you have devotional time, or maybe you wake up in the morning and uh, you like to do an exercise or whatever it be, and you have healthy, good habits, you know, there are great habits that you can have. But there are also a lot of bad habits that you can have. Uh, and, and bad habits uh, can, uh, can be very dangerous to us that if we don't uh, get delivered from them or surrender them to Jesus and not surrender to the habit, we can get really hurt. Uh, I graduated college about seven years ago, and, um, or a little over seven years ago, and uh, I can tell you that since I've graduated, I've lost, I've lost a, a handful of friends whom uh, life's pressures came, started pushing them back started overwhelming them, and unfortunately gave their lives into old habits of addiction and lost their lives in the midst of turning back to old habits. Running to what we are used to is a mind thing. It's a battle that happens within our minds. Joan of Arc, I believe, was the first to put it this way. All battles are first lost or won in the mind. All battles are first lost or won in the mind, and it's no different spiritually. There, there, uh, I, when, I was, when I was a teenager, I heard my youth pastor just put it this way. You know, Jesus took care of everything for us when it comes to salvation. The only thing that we're left to deal with and overcome is our minds. He took care of everything. I mean, you think about our instructions for salvation. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The believing part. You know, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's this battle that happens between the heart and the mind, you know, that allowing what we know uh, to, trans, uh, to, to, to go from our minds to our hearts and, ca and cause us and allow us to believe what we are reading to be true. And so these things, all these things happen to the mind. And, you know, uh, I absolutely love when somebody comes to Jesus. 
It's the most exciting thing. You see how excited somebody is. For the, for the very first time, there's this peace. There's this, there's this freedom. Like the, wor- the weight of the world has lifted and fallen off of your shoulders. And it's so exciting to see them excited that you just can't help to smile uh, ear to ear with them and rejoice and just be joyful with individuals. But I also uh, intensely, I'll obviously intensely pray for them as they start a new journey with Jesus. But I also have special concern in my heart uh, and intercede for individuals who give their heart to Jesus later on in life. And, and here's why. When you give your life to Jesus later on in life, you have a whole life of unlearning to do. You have a whole life of old habits to stop and overcome and surrender to Jesus and, and learn new habits. You know, you've been living your life uh, uh, separated from God for so long. And, uh, you know, you, you've had a normal that when you give your life to Jesus and you keep growing in him and you keep discovering what is okay and what is not okay according to the word of God, it, it's like, you know, you're, you're, you're being face to face with a decision. Am I going to continue pursuing Jesus or am I going to just kind of like, ah, oh, this is where I'm going to stay uh, and stuff like that. And the spirit always draws us to conviction and surrender to Jesus and allow him to be the one to shape us and mold us and transform us from the inside out. And so, again, Gomer ran to what she knew, uh, what she was used to, what she knew. And the Bible talks a lot about the mind. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 to 5 say, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ. We take uh, every thought captive to obey Christ. What is taking up your mental space, your mental capacity? If it's not of God, we need to take it captive. We need to, sum- we need to, uh, we need to come to Jesus and submit ourselves to him and say, Lord, help me take every thought captive uh, in your name so that if there's something in there that my mind keeps focusing on or my, my sin or my flesh keeps focusing on and dwelling on that is clearly not of you, I don't even want to entertain it. I want to take it captive and surrender it to you and, and fill my mind with the things that are of you. Philippians 4, chapter 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Or other translations say, dwell on these things. To dwell your mind on things that are pure, lovely, commendable, and excellent. To dwell on the things of God. 2 Timothy 1.7 For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind or sound judgment. You know, when we're feeling fearful... When we're overwhelmed and we're just anxious and, you know, we, we just feel like we're, we're, we're just uh, panicking a little bit. You know, when you, when you feel overwhelmed, you like start internally panicking sometimes. And uh, many people are overwhelmed in society, but are very good at hiding it. You know, they're very good at internalizing it, but there's just turmoil within their hearts. You know, when we're, feel, when we're feeling overwhelmed, we need to remind ourselves of 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. That God has not given us a spirit of fear. That if you are feel, fearful right now, it's not from God. Your mind is focusing on something that uh, God doesn't want you to focus on or, uh, or worry about or dwell on that's causing you to fear. Rather, he's given us a, a, a spirit of power and love and of a sound mind. How many of you have ever heard that it takes 21 days to learn a new habit? 
That's not, entire, that's not entirely accurate. Research uh, suggests that it takes anywhere from 18 to 254 days to break a bad habit and just as equally long to form a long-lasting, lifelong new one. Um, sometimes, here's, here's where this gets dangerous right here. Sometimes the good, uh, the good habit can be formed before the bad one is overcome. Uh, before it's fully surrendered to Jesus. And because of this, sometimes we let our guard down before the bad habit is uh, officially broken and surrendered to Jesus because of our newfound confidence in a new habit, a new good habit that is good for us. It's profitable for us. It's causing us to grow. It's leading us and directing us towards a, a position in our lives of growth. But this, uh, our guard being let down when it comes to not fully surrendering the old habit yet gets exposed when life's pressures come. When life's pressures come, what is it that you run to? Who is it that you run to? Do you run to what you know? Do you run to what you've been used to for so long? And that, that, that letting of our guard down, again, gets exposed when life starts just pushing back at us. And, and so, uh, something had to have happened in Gomer's life that caused her to uh, flee from the good that she had uh, to what she had been used to. Because remember, God told Hosea to marry a woman of promiscuity. She was already an adulteress before marrying Hosea. And, Hose and Hosea, in obedience to God's command, meets Gomer and marries her. And somewhere along the way, she runs away from her family. She runs away from the good that she had to run towards what she was used to. And so regardless of what happened, it did indeed happen, bringing us to the events of Hosea chapter 3. Hosea 3 verse 1 says, saying, Then the Lord said to me, Go again, show love to a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Just as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love raisin cakes. If you want to know the raisin cake thing, watch last week's message. Uh, continuing in verse 2. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and 9 bushels of barley. And I said to her, you are to live with me many days. You are not to be promiscuous or belong to any other man. And I will act the same way towards you. Hosea comes to her and purchases her. Why? Because she was valuable. Gomer was valuable. Hosea, in an act of obedience, despite betrayal, went searching for his wife. And he paid a physical price for her. Why? Because she was of value to him. Gomer was valuable. And, and sin has a way of making us feel of lesser value. Sin has a way of making us feel dirty, old, worn, used up, and deserving to be cast aside, saying, How could a loving God who is perfect... How could a loving God who, is, who is, his, is put together and righteous and holy, how could he love, how could he possibly forgive all the sins that I have committed? And yet, again, the Bible tells us that he demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God didn't look at his creation and say, first I need you to get your life together before you can enter my courts. He didn't say, first I need you to do this and cleanse yourself before I will send my son Jesus to die on the cross for you. The Bible says, come as you are. God tells us to come as we are. That we're not the ones who can cleanse us. We're not the ones who can forgive ourselves, fix ourselves, overcome our sin, overcome our issues. So what do we do? We come as we are. We say yes to Jesus. My flesh and my sin might have been my master before, but Lord, I surrender to you now that you are not only my savior, but I am purchased. I have a new master. 
That's the story of the gospel right there. That's the gospel message. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Yet, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Why would the God of the universe send his own son to die on a cross for us, sinners? Because we are of value to him. Why? Because we are his. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 through 10 say, For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift. It is God's gift. Not from works so that, uh, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. The Bible right here. You know when the enemy lies. When your mind is being overwhelmed by lies. Saying that you're worthless. That you're too far gone, that you've just committed way too many sins. I'm going to tell you that the blood of Jesus will forever always be more than enough. Amen? And that we need to read scriptures that tell us who we are to God, who we are in Christ. That we are God's workmanship. That we are loved beyond measure. That we are forgiven. That we can say we are the redeemed. That we are sons and daughters of the, of the living God because we are His. And there's nothing you can do about it. You are His today, church. Today the world might have labels on you and say that you are this or you are that. But I'm standing right here in front of you today to communicate that there is a God who calls you a son or a daughter whose desire is for you to come back home to him. So today's call, it's the same as last week. It's the same as the week before. It's the same call for those who hear the message about Jesus. Come to me. It's okay, the baggage you bring. I'll, I'll deal with that. It's okay, the sins that you have committed. I've dealt with that. I died for that. Just come to me and let it go and allow me to do in you what only I can do. You are forgiven. So yes, we are sinners. We're habitual. You might be lost, but you are also loved. You're worth it. You are valuable. Why? Because you are His. Created in His image and likeness to be with Him forever. That's the way God intended. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you are in this place, again, the call is the same, church. Come back to Him. If you're, maybe you're in this place and you've never made a decision to surrender your heart to Jesus and today's going to be the day of salvation for you that for the very first time you're going to surrender your heart and say, I need a new master. I need a savior. I need someone to redeem me and save me from my sins. Jesus paid the price. All you have to do is say, Lord, I choose you. I surrender to you right now, Jesus. And so if you're in this room and, uh, you know, you're making that decision for the first time or maybe you feel like you've been straying away a little bit and and you just feel that conviction in your heart that's pointing you to return to Jesus, I'm going to ask that with every head bowed and every eye closed, you just make eye contact with me. And when I look at you, you can put your head back down. I want to agree with you in the decision you are making today so that I can celebrate and rejoice with you. So if you are here and you're either of those things, either for the very first time in your life or you're turning back to your heavenly father, your first love. If that's you, just lift your head and make eye contact with me. I'm not even going to go by sections. Just keep your head up until I make eye contact. 
Is there anybody? I agree with you. Amen. I agree with you. Is there anybody? I agree. I agree. Amen. Is there anybody? I agree. Amen. I agree. Is there anybody? Anybody else? I agree. In the overflow, anybody? I agree. I agree. I agree. I agree. I agree. Heavenly Father, today is the day of salvation, Lord. And I'm so thankful, Lord, and we can celebrate and rejoice because your word says that even when one comes to repentance, when one comes back to you, O God, all of heaven, Lord, we can't even imagine what that looks like, but all of heaven is celebrating and rejoicing, Lord, for a son or a daughter who was once lost has come back home. So today, Lord, we celebrate and we rejoice, Lord, and I'm so thankful for the work of salvation that is available to those who are in you, Jesus. It's available to anybody who would call on your name, Lord God, and so I pray, God, that you continue to do a work that only you can do. That when the world says we are this, when our mind is overwhelmed by this, or the enemy is trying to make us believe this, I pray that we turn back to your word and we read scriptures like John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever should believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That we would read scriptures that talk about the fact that we are your workmanship, O oh God. That, we, that, that you knew us before the foundations of the earth were laid. That you created us with a destiny and a purpose. I pray that we would become overwhelmed by goodness, by mercy, by love, and by forgiveness, but it's all found in conviction of the Holy Spirit that always points us back to you, Jesus. So we pray, God, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm gonna invite you to stand, and if you feel free to be dismissed today, I pray, I, I pray that you have a blessed week this week. We'll see you next week. Uh, but if you are here and you need prayer, I'm going to invite our altar team to come forward. We want to pray with you. We want to pray alongside you. We want to, if you're here and you made that decision to either return or come to Jesus for the very first time, we want to celebrate with you. And so if you feel led, come, come up to the front. We want to pray with you. But again, if you feel dismissed, we say God bless you. Have a great week. But we ask that you keep conversations out in the foyer. That way we can uh, protect this atmosphere of uh, seeking the Lord and surrendering to him. So God bless you, church, and we'll see you next week.